Hello and welcome to the Cycle Podcast. I almost forgot what I was saying there and I'm just going to leave this edit in. <laughs> um, sometimes when I record the pre-show for the podcast, I literally just blank out. I don't know if that happens to anybody else when you're doing something when you're recording. I don't know what it is about recording something where I just forget what I'm saying. Anyway, more importantly, on today's show, I chat with Chelsea. She's from South Florida. She's 22, and she and I chat about how to advocate with your family and your doctors. Listen in to the rest of her story here and some tips on how you can advocate with your family and your doctors today. Hello and welcome, Chelsea, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and chatting with us about your endo story. Chelsea is joining us from South Florida and her adorable dog is in the background. If you're not watching on YouTube and listening to the show, we just chatted about dogs and I'm going to let Chelsea tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Chelsea. Um, I'm 22. I live in South Florida. I, um, I have two dogs. I live with my two dogs and my partner, um, George. Our dogs are a boxer lab rescue and a French bulldog rescue. Um, I love plants and animals. So <laughs> that's really what I spend my time doing when I'm not having intense endograms. So yeah. Awesome. I, I, I'm good with plants. I don't have any dogs. I love a dog, but I do try and keep the plants green. So that that's similar over here. Well, we appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Um, you know, I really like to start as everyone knows, just in the beginning of when did you start to maybe experience any of your first symptoms or did you not have symptoms? How did you really start on this endo path? Yeah, so I actually, I got my period when I was 12, um, the summer going into sixth grade. So like looking back, that was actually really young, um, like right after elementary school. The summer after elementary school, I got my period. I actually didn't know I got my period. I thought I, thought I kept pooping my pants because um, you know when you first get your period and it's not like heavy and it's not bloody, it's like. I don't know. It was kind of brown. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I kept like maybe like pooping my pants a little bit. So I like didn't tell anyone. And then finally, like when it got heavy, like towards the end of summer going into school, I finally told my mom and that's when I discovered I had my period. <laughs> she um, was like, no, that's not you pooping your pants. <laughs> I would have to say this might be the first time in the show we talked about pooping our pants, which, you know, we talk about poop all the time. So like, like diarrhea streaks or something. <laughs> so I, I literally thought, and well, this is funny because this is one of my symptoms of endo is I always was either constipated or I always had like diarrhea after like eating something that would trigger it. Yeah. So I just thought like, whoa, like something must have I must have like had a little bit of diarrhea without realizing it. Right. Um, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So did you have like constipation, diarrhea with like these, you know, when you first started your cycle, but obviously you didn't know it was all related from the time I started my cycle. Um, but actually I was pretty much constipated from the time I was born, which is like a whole 
different can of worms. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I have an, I'm sure I have like a GI issue unrelated to endo. Um, I'm actually getting an endoscopy in the end of um, December and look into that, but. Okay. Um, okay. Cause I had, I had like, we'll get into that later. Um, okay. okay. But yeah. So by 13, like a year after I got my period, my periods became really heavy and painful okay. to the point where my mom would write notes so I didn't have to go to school that week. And it just became normal that I didn't yeah. go to school on my period. Was and it I, like the first couple of days or the whole week? And, you know, um, do you remember? I know it was a while ago, but. So like my period would be about five days long. And it was like the first three days that I would have to be out. The last few days it would lighten up and I would be able to go to school. Um, right. And when you were talking with your mom in the beginning or like this just seemed like something that was normal, right? Was that yeah. my mom told me that the same thing happened to her so that it was normal and that she that when it happened to her, she would stay home from school too. School too. Yeah. So her mom let her stay home from school and right. she said it was normal. So right. And did you ever at that time, like notice any other friends that that would happen to, or, um, just think like it was happening to other people, but nobody talked about it. So I started asking my friends, I've always been like a super open person. I'm like the most open person out of every friend group. Like, uh, I'm always the most open person in every room probably. Um, so I started asking people like, have you gotten your period yet? Um, from the time I got my period when I was 12, I was asking people, have you got your period yet? Right. So I was pretty much the first person who had gotten my period out of all my friends. But once they did start getting their periods, they told me. And then when they did, I would ask like, like, is it heavy? Yeah. Is it painful? Um, and like from all my friends, mine was pretty much the only one that was heavy and painful. Yeah. And all my other friends were able to, you know, go to school and continue their sport activities. Yeah. Um, I played basketball and I had a game and it was a home game so we were wearing white and I bled through my shorts no. during the game. Yeah, in front of like all the boys and all. <gasps> oh, I'm so, so sorry. I I feel like a lot of us have been there but of course the uniforms are white, of course. I know and I had like I had like a super pad on. I had I was wearing uh, I forget what they're called but like these spandex shorts underneath my uniform shorts oh i'm so sorry that that happened oh was that in middle school too yeah that was oh. in middle school middle school's already like the hardest time in life let alone you know that happening man middle school okay so you, you you're missing school how long does this go on before you start to feel like something's off or do you have like a bad flare-up what what kind of happened next um about another year later I started going to the gyno my mom started bringing me to the gyno okay. to make sure my pain was normal and um they ended up just putting me on birth control and telling me that basically severe pain was normal severe menstrual yeah. pain yeah so then you went on birth control how did that go um, I think the birth control did mask um, some of the pain and it also lightened up my periods. Um, not all the way though, like I still had heavy periods. Um, I was able to go to school more on my menstrual cycle, but every now and then there was still a menstrual cycle like 
painful enough that I ended up not going to school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then about like another year after that, um, I really just couldn't take it again. Like I had another, like, I guess, high flare episode. Yeah. So we went to the gyno again. And this time they're like, I guess we can do like a transvaginal ultrasound. Okay. It was this when you're like roughly 15 now? Yeah. 15. Okay. 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 So they offered you an ultrasound. Okay. And they said there were cysts, but they said they should go away naturally each cycle so that it was like nothing to worry about. Um, so I was like, okay. And my mom was like, yeah, like I, I had the same thing. So it's normal. So apparently like cysts are normal and they go away on their own. And yeah. And so then at that point where you just like, okay, and I'll stay on this birth control and do what you're telling me to do. Did they say, let's follow up in a couple months and see if they're still there? Uh, They didn't offer follow-up. They just told me to continue the birth control. Yeah. Were you taking it continuously or did they, did you take like the sugar pill and still have a cycle? Um, Originally I took it continuously I mean originally I took it with the sugar pill yeah I discovered that you don't have to and you can take it continuously right so I started taking it continuously because having a period you know it's, it sucks yeah and were you having at that like throughout this like course of time any other symptoms that now when you reflect back you're like I actually think those were related to endo yeah um difficulty peeing but needing to go often lower abdominal pain specifically it was always on my right side okay like deep on my right side I felt deep which that'll make sense later yeah and um food intolerances that like don't come up on test, but it makes sense once you get the endo diagnosis since endo tends to make you food intolerant. Yeah. Things like that. Okay. Um, right. And- so you're just kind of getting by. You're like, okay, I'm in high school. I'm taking this birth control continuously. Still not feeling great, but you just keep pressing on because you think it's normal. Yeah. And honestly, everyone just thought I was moody. Yeah. My family just thought I was like moody and a crybaby at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then like another year went by and I had like a horrible pain episode. So when I went to the urgent care, they told me it was a bursted cyst. And then basically the same thing. They're like, it's normal. They gave me pain medicine and then told me to go home. Oh my gosh. So and then... Sorry. And then like, I called, I called a gyno to like, just make sure it's normal. And I, and I heard they, I was told that it can lead to infection. So like to follow up. So I followed up with my gyno and same thing. They're really dismissive. Like, oh, by now, like the cyst is bursted and it's done. Like you're fine. Goodness. And after a cyst like that burst for people who are listening, I'm sure Chelsea can t- attest to this too. You don't feel good for like 
at least a week. And it could be not even on your cycle. Like it, it just feels like your whole body is like trying to absorb what happened. Did you, I'm sure you felt that way too. Yeah. Just like, almost like a, like, I would feel like almost like a zombie or like, like that I had like the flu and just very inflamed. I don't know if that's how you I felt like in bed for a week. I felt horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kept like brushing me off and I was like, I can't believe this is supposedly normal. Normal. Yeah. And it made me feel like, then I started feeling like I was a crybaby. I was like, wow, maybe I am a crybaby. Right. Because at some point you're just like, everyone's telling you it's normal, but you, your intuition knew something was off. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, the following year, I moved um, in 2017. Mm-hmm. I moved from, well, actually in 2016, but I didn't go see a doctor until the following year. In 2016, I moved from Georgia to Florida. Okay. And the following year, I got a new primary care provider. And um, when I went to her, I was just giving her like a background on me. Like, yeah, I'm in pain all the time. I have menstrual cramps, um, food intolerances, acne, whatever. She immediately was like, oh, well, you already meet the criteria for PCOS, and I'm sure you have endometriosis. And I had never heard of either. So I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) so like in and this is like a primary care provider not even a guy no right so he was like you should definitely um go get that checked out and i was like so confused um, and did you go home and like immediately start yeah, googling I was googling and as soon as i googled endometriosis i'm like that is for sure what i have right i'm sure you saw every symptom were like check 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 uh-oh okay as soon as soon as I saw I was like I for sure have this but I didn't want to like I didn't want to get my hopes up too much um you know so because you were told for so long that it was normal right is that why you felt like you didn't want to like almost get your hopes up for something yeah because I didn't my family kind of thought I was a crybaby because in my like family and I don't know if it's a cultural thing but like you don't really go to the doctor unless it's an emergency and the way they saw it it was not an emergency what I was going through right so um and they can't see it right like this is something that I talk about with people all the time is like if you had a a open wound on your arm and it was bleeding and you had to go to the ER everybody can see it and so they recognize it but when it's internal people can't see how bad you may be feeling because it's obviously it's internal. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt, I felt like I didn't, so even like telling my mom, I think I have this thing called endometriosis. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, the doctor told me she thinks I have it. Um, even saying like all of that felt like, I don't know. It felt like I don't know how to explain it. Maybe like they thought I was attention seeking or um, something like that because up until then they felt like whatever I was going through wasn't urgent. And so they felt maybe I'm just playing wolf or being a crybaby or I don't know. 
Were you scared to tell your mom? Not that I was scared to tell her because I am a very like firm personality or whatever. Like if I believe this is my diagnosis, I'm going to go after it. Right. But um, more like I'm telling her and I'm hoping she's going to support me. Yeah. Um, Whereas when I told some other family members, I didn't feel that support. Yeah. Luckily with my mom, she was like, okay, like if you really want answers, like it took some time for her to come around because my mom is definitely like growing up, we did not go to the doctor until like I had full blown pneumonia. Like growing up, I remember like being in the ER for pneumonia, but like we didn't go to the doctor before. Like we probably could have gone when it was a cold. Right. Developed into pneumonia. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so clearly I've always been immunocompromised. Right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, when I told them and it really got, it really got real when I found a specialist. So even how old are you now, Chelsea, when all of this is kind of, when you talk to this primary care doctor, how old were you now? I I was 18, but I didn't end up getting surgery until 22. So it took a good wow. few years of researching endometriosis yeah. to get like, number one, I wasn't going to jump into surgery because the first thing that I read when I started researching is horror stories. I mean, yeah. people, people waking up, um, people waking up with their organs gone and endo still in their body and yeah. or people waking up and, you know, like I, I read so many horror stories. So yeah. I was going to make sure that I did my research and I'm, I'm a very thorough person. I, I actually worked as a research analyst at the time. So, so you were like, I got this and I'm going to take my, yeah. in those I, four I, years, like 18 to 22, how were you feeling though? Were you, did you start to feel like it was getting worse? worse? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I could not tell if it was in my head. I was like, oh my God, maybe it's getting worse. Cause I'm researching it. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, yes. yes. I'm like, is it in my head that it's like, my pain is getting worse. Cause I'm learning more about the disease. Right. Um, but it was definitely getting worse, but I found a specialist and when I scheduled surgery, I mean, the surgery was scheduled like, like six or eight months out. So, and then because of COVID, um, like, even if I would have found her a year earlier, COVID messed everything up. So pretty much during COVID, everything was on pause. Yeah. It was just like me in my apartment and like looking up specialists and stuff. Right. Um, but there's no specialist like in South Florida. So I had to go out of South Florida to the Orlando area. Okay. Um, but like within those four years, I was able to like educate my mom about endometriosis, get her to realize it's a real thing. And within those four years, I was able to get my grandma to somehow confess to us that, oh, I had surgery when I was in my early twenties and they removed my ovaries and I probably have whatever it is you're saying you probably have. So when my grandma said that, my mom was like, are you kidding me? So that's when everybody started to believe me a little bit. Yeah. Because um, they were like, maybe it's hereditary or something. Yeah. And that's probably a big deal that all of that information started to get shared, right? Because 
sounds like maybe your grandma had it and your mom. And now I think the three of you were probably putting it together at that time. Wow. Yeah, it definitely, it, it brought me and my grandma a little closer because when she started talking to me about her pain during that age mm -hmm. and how they had to do like emergency surgery because of how horrible her pain was. Yeah. Um, and at the time, like there wasn't as much education. So they ended up just removing her organs, but, yeah. um, but she was a young mom. So like she, she had already had her kids like in her early twenties and then um so it was okay but um it ended up like bringing us a little closer because when everybody was doubting me like a lot of my family was basically like making me feel like a crybaby my grandma pulled me to the side and she was like I believe you and then she told me about that wow. so that I was like why didn't you tell all of us about that right so that's, when, that's when um you know, we all talked about it. And then I was like, you know, I've looked up that endo can be hereditary. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I so think you bring up some really good points that I want to touch on really quick, because I'm sure there's people that are listening to the show right now that are in similar situations. And like you said, you, you know, I'm open, I will be, you know, I'll go in a room and say what I, what I feel, but do you have advice for people who may be in a similar situation where they can't be as open with their family or how to approach those conversations, right? Because like you said, you felt the way that you felt, um, but you were able to open express and like get everybody to, to listen to you. Do you have any tips for people who are listening that may be struggling to get their family or friends even to believe what they're going through? I think the biggest part is when you talk to them is highlighting that invisible illnesses are real. Yeah. And highlighting that, like, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And like great examples, like maybe give them examples like diabetes. You can't see that, but we all know it's real. Yeah. Um, and then also backing it up with research. Like when I was, when I was like telling my mom about endometriosis, I was sending her a lot of like articles and research and and things like that and like a lot of videos um like like that um you know the famous doctor italian doctor surgeon for endometriosis i was literally sending her stuff from his instagram page because he posts like videos where during surgery he'll talk about what he's Ex, um, excising mm -hmm. so I would send her stuff like that so she can see like it's a real disease he's removing it from organs and stuff like that and articles like um, things like that um, it is hard to talk to your family when they're not believing you but like that's a first step that needs to be taken is like even if you don't believe me I need to pursue my diagnosis because there is no way I'm going to get better um, and so trust it, your gut. You kept trusting your gut the whole time too. You knew something was off even at 13. I feel like you knew, but it's hard because if everybody's saying, no, it's normal, no, it's normal. And they don't, it's not their fault. They don't know any better either. Right. They don't have the same awareness that most people have about endometriosis, but that's the advice I like to give too. Is like, you have to just trust your intuition and keep fighting. And I know it's hard when you feel really sick, but I love your advice of like sending articles and, and doctors information and research. And even there's some books 
about endometriosis on the market that I've heard people have like purchased and just, or went to the library and just gave it to someone in their family and said, if you really care about me, please just read this or even listen to this podcast, not even trying to get more people to listen to the podcast, but sometimes yeah. it's easier to uh, hear things like this from other people, even though they're in your family and they should trust what you're saying. Sometimes hearing it from a third party helps. Like you said, articles, videos. And honestly, not even just with um, family, like to touch on throughout my, I know we skipped a lot throughout the timeline, but even with doctors, a lot of doctors dismiss women. Yes. Um, especially if you're a woman of color, like women of color expected to carry their pain and apparently doctors for whatever reason feel that it's normal for women of color to experience high pain and that that's the norm and they're supposed to carry it um like I've been told that by doctors and that my pain is normal and um you know, especially with endometriosis where most of your tests are going to check out normal, like your blood work and stuff, yeah. they'll really be very dismissive. Yeah. So, um, especially if there's any like woman of color listening, you really have to be your own advocate. Um, I, that's why I researched so much in those four years. When I go to a doctor, I feel like oftentimes I know more about endometriosis than they do. Um, like I see a GI for separate issues, um, but when I go, I, I ended up, fast forward, um, well, we're already there. In February 2021, I had my excision surgery with my specialist, um, and I was super anxious because, like, if she found nothing, this was all for nothing. Yes, And yes. I was going to come out of my surgery and my family was gonna be mad at me. I was gonna feel dumb and it was all gonna be for nothing. But thankfully, I mean, not thankfully, but thankfully, cause I listened to my body and I went, um, when I came out of surgery, I was literally asking everybody, like I was grabbing the nurses. I'm like, did they find endo? Did they find endo? First thing um, when you woke up, right? Like, I'm still like on anesthesia, like, right. People are like saying funky things when they wake up but I was like did they find endo did they find endo because like I literally like went to sleep thinking oh god I hope they find endo yeah and um they found stage four endo and it was like I had it on a lot of so it doesn't explain all my bowel issues but I did have endo on my bowel and it was it was wrapped around my bowel wall but it hadn't um went through the wall okay so um, prior to my surgery, I had seen a, a GI um, for a lot of my GI symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned I'm getting, having the endosurgery coming up. I did a colonoscopy and it came back clear. And so he was super dismissive. Like, there's no way you have endo on your, on your bowel. Um, he but said that? Yes. Oh but my gosh. It hadn't penetrated the wall. Yes. Like if it had penetrated through the wall, it would have been an emergency surgery. Like yes. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to go to the surgery already. Like I would already have needed emergency surgery. But when I, 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 so many for just so sorry to interrupt Chelsea, but just, if you are listening, like, you know, how many people I've talked to that had a clear, uh, 
colonoscopy and then they go to have endometriosis surgery and it's on their bowel in their bowel so oh that's so frustrating only looking inside right like inside the the outside yeah if the endo had already infiltrated like by then you would have already needed emergency surgery so right anyways that is the biggest myth and i wish gi's understood that anyways he was i feel so- like gi gi's are almost the first line of defense because most people with endo that's where they're going first because that's when you really start seeking a doctor because you know these gi issues that you may be having are something's wrong where the painful cycles you may accept that as normal because that's what we've been told which it's not but so but the gi thing like we know is people like i can't i'm not like digesting food something is wrong you know and gi is where most people end up first that's i was diagnosed with ibs before i ever figured out i had endo yes and i feel like ibs is just like a throwaway diagnosis it is I was diagnosed with IBS before endo as well. And I feel like really endo. It's uh, when they can't figure out what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. So you had your colonoscopy doctor says, "Eh, you're totally fine. And then you have your endo surgery. Um, My bowel was stuck to my sidewall and it was, I had adhesions everywhere. I ended up having stage four endo and I had an endometrioma on my right ovary, but she was able to remove it and save the ovary. There was just a lot of endo everywhere. Yeah. Um, And so when I woke up, like I was just, it was like a burden had been lifted to like have a real diagnosis. Diagnosis. You're not alone in feeling that way, just so you know. And for people who are listening, if you haven't received your diagnosis, you can still trust your gut. You know, if, if something's wrong, but a lot of people go into surgery, very nervous that they're going to wake up and someone says that they don't have endo. And also I've, there's been people on the, the show. So if you listen to the show that had surgery and were told they didn't have endo and then actually found a specialist later and they did. Yes. So I, I, I love, you know, all of the advocate for yourself, especially like you said, women of color who are expected to just have this insanely high tolerance of pain. And so they're often ignored, but so that's part of the advocating. And if, if someone's not listening to you or taking you seriously, almost like this GI doctor too, and you were like, you knew something was off with your, your GI and your stomach um, and your intestines, that's when you really have to either try to find someone new and continue to advocate just like Chelsea did. I mean, you just kept fighting almost this uphill battle of getting this diagnosis. And then you woke up and you had it. And after that, um, like a couple members of my family, like were very apologetic. My mom was very like, oh, sweetie, I'm here for you. Um, so it was really nice afterwards having the actual diagnosis because, you know, it made it real for my family. Because um, I guess with invisible illnesses, the, I guess the thing that makes it real is um, surgery like that and having the doctor give you a definitive diagnosis yeah yeah for sure yeah we're gonna take a pause real quick pause chelsea let's take a real quick pause and we're gonna be right back i want to hear a little bit more about the surgery and how you're feeling now quick break okay we are back All right. So 
tell me after that surgery and, and what, what's kind of happened now, what happened immediately after, how are you feeling? Give us, give me the update. Immediately after surgery, um, I was bloated <laughs> and <laughs> yes. I had a lot of shoulder pain, but, um, honestly, my pain has been way better since surgery. I mean, the first period after surgery, because I've decided to step away from birth control, <laughs> Um, first period was absolutely antagonizing the worst pain I've experienced in my life. Um, however, after I got through that, um, I've been feeling really good after surgery. When I do have pain, it's like for a much shorter time than before, right. which is like really unusual. Like I'll have pain for like 30 minutes and then it'll go away. Whereas prior to surgery, I would have pain for like three days. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really funny. Like I'll be in the grocery store and like randomly start cramping for like 20 minutes and then it stops. Like not even long enough for me to get a heating pad and go to my bed. Like really short periods of pain. Um, I feel like my triggers are less. Like I can drink coffee again, um, which for me is great because I'm a coffee fanatic. <laughs> I like, you're like, I like coffee. So prior, prior to surgery, it was like, you choose your battles. Like, yeah. like I would know if I would drink a, a coffee with milk, I was like, do I want to cramp today? <laughs> right. Right. How did you figure out that again, for people who are listening, how did you figure out some of what your triggers were? Um, for sure. Dairy when anytime something had high dairy, I know because being um, like we do cafe con leche a lot. So it's, it's milk with coffee. And I mean, did I say milk with coffee? Yes. Uh, coffee with milk. So right. is, is it mostly milk and then like a little bit of coffee? Yeah. So yeah. it's really strong espresso with like a lot of milk, you know? And um, I noticed that like after, like I could have a shot of espresso cause we also do like shots of, of coffee here. Um, I noticed that if I have the straight up coffee shot it doesn't like trigger any cramps. Um, but whenever I, I would have the actual like mixed drink with the milk that I would start cramping. So that's how I figured out like it's definitely the milk making me cramp. Yeah. So we started buying um, like alternative like the creamer we use at home it doesn't have milk it's dairy free mm -hmm. and actually the the brand we use it used to have dairy and they like secretly without um without like publicly displaying it they've gone like all dairy free so that's actually really cool that's cool so, so my favorite like creamer brand is like now dairy free that's but, awesome like when I go out to the restaurants and I, and I order, like I still order a cafe con leche um, and it doesn't make me cramp anymore. Right. I'm sure if I had like, like three in a row. Right, right, right. Yeah. Moderation. Which not gonna lie, I, like <laughs> I live in South Florida and, I, and I'm like, we're crazy over here. So some days like I might actually have so much espresso. So you're, you're just like, I'm on the go. <laughs> I literally drink it throughout the day. Like it's not, it's not like how some people have one cup in the morning. <laughs> and I, I literally will have a cup before bed. Like I'm horrible. Like it doesn't even help me stay awake. Like for me, it's just something. It's just a drink. Yeah. I like it. Um, I love that. 
doesn't make me like cramp anymore. Um, I still avoid dairy. I, like I avoid it, but I can order, I, I only like it in my coffee. Um, but it's not like I purposely go out and buy dairy. Um, I'm pescatarian. So I had went pescatarian by my doctor's advice prior to um, surgery. Okay. It's been like over a year now being pescatarian. Um, and I don't really have any cravings to go back to eating red meat or chicken for that matter. Um, honestly, do you feel better eating that? How are you, does it, do you feel different eating pescatarian? So she, it's not that she told me specifically to go pescatarian. She had told me to cut out dairy and red meat. Um, so while I was at it, I just cut out chicken and went pescatarian because honestly, um, chicken is like only good if you get buy like high quality chicken and make it yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I noticed like prior, prior to surgery that if I like that, sometimes like a big piece of red meat would make me cramp. I never yeah. liked, like pork, um, unless it was like bacon. Like I, when it comes to pork, I would only eat bacon prior to surgery. Um, but I would notice like a lot of red meat did make me cramp. So I can't give a comparison since I stopped eating it, but yeah. I don't really have um, desires to start eating it again because sure. it's honestly easy just eating fish. But fish like has never made me cramp. Um, and eating anti-inflammatory, like I try to stick to the anti-inflammatory diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to lie. I do eat junk food um, sometimes. Like, Got to. I mean, there's just some times where you just... Yeah. And yeah. Sugar, sugar makes me cramp. Me too. And I have a sweet tooth. I have a sweet tooth and it really sucks because sugar does make me cramp. Um, I found some good, like if you make like pale, I mean, kind of trick yourself, like paleo recipes, like muffins or cookies or whatever. And you use like maple syrup or honey. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me or hurt me. Interesting. Honey. Yeah. Honey and maple syrup. Now that you say it, syrup doesn't make me cramp. Um, Yeah. We, like when we have pancakes with, yeah um we make protein pancakes with yes and syrup that's and like I, one of my staples when I don't feel good I I love pancakes for breakfast like love 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 um but yeah so that's actually some good advice so definitely food you have to you have to watch your food because it really stinks you eat one thing and you'll be cramping the rest of the day Yes. Yes. Any other um, things that you've changed or added um, in since you found out about endo or, you know, just anything that you can give advice wise or tips or tricks besides diet? I got, okay. You know, the, I bought a cheap tens unit off Amazon and love it. And I just have to say there are brands selling tens units for like hundreds of dollars yes every I'm sure every endo person who's listening to this that's on Instagram has seen the ad that you're talking about getting towards endo people and I I just tell you guys I got mine for 30 bucks off Amazon and it works wonders sometimes when I want my heating pad but I'm really hot I instead go for my tens unit um and it has like different settings on it and stuff like mine mine came with like literally like 18 different settings so you can change it from like massage setting to acupuncture setting 
all these different settings and that's what I do when I'm cramping really bad but you know sometimes you just don't want your heating pad yeah that's great 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 advice and and, and you can put it on while you're going out in public and not right in your pocket yeah that's um, such a good I, tip to use it at work I'd go in the bathroom really quick and put it on and okay. come yeah yeah Oh, that's great. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, remember to be your own advocate. Um, always ask for help. I asked a lot of um, questions in the endo groups on Facebook before finding like my surgeon and, and um, you know, going, uh, committing to surgery because I wanted to do a lot of research and get people's experiences. So I think do a lot of research um, before getting your surgery and just be aware of the different types of surgeries. And it's always best to like know, know a lot, like be super knowledgeable about this because you're the one with, with the disease. Um, and that's how you're going to be your best advocate is if you're also the best educated. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, ask questions, ask for help when you need it from other people in support groups. Um, I love the support groups on Facebook. Um, and then be educated so that way you can advocate for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I love that advice. I couldn't agree more um, doing your own research because endo really does affect everybody in a different way and differently. And we all have different symptoms and different needs. And if you really understand a lot about it, then you can feel empowered going into the doctor. Just like you said, Chelsea, you knew, you knew more than the doctor sometimes. And that's unfortunate that it is that way. And I hope it gets better, but just the fact that you knew you were right makes a big difference. So thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story. I'm so grateful that you are feeling so much better. It's, it's wonderful, wonderful news. And uh, we really appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your support, listening in, and all of your positive feedback. It means so much to me. If you'd like to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. If you could do that on Apple Podcasts, that helps us get more guests, helps us get higher search ranking, and I just really appreciate all of that good feedback because it helps people discover the Cycle Podcast. Also, if you want to keep the conversation going, please join the Facebook group. There is the link in the show notes, and it's just a group, a very small group of people who listen to the podcast and guests who have been on the podcast if you want to further the conversation. And lastly, this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice or treatment, so always have to put that disclaimer in there. Please always, always talk to your doctor. And thank you so much for listening, supporting the cycle. It means everything to me. And I just hope that this is helping you and you're feeling okay today. Thank you again.